Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, voiceover artist, and former division psychologist for the 101st Airborne Division, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapist, your mechanic. And you listeners are our loyal drivers. Welcome to the Gold Star Highway, where we celebrate those who have served in the armed forces. Today's quote is by Darlene Schacht. A successful marriage isn't the union of two perfect people. It's that of two imperfect people who have learned the value of forgiveness and grace. This week, our show drops on Veterans Day. This day was originally called Armistice Day after World War I, and it's a day to thank all of the people who have served in the armed forces for their sacrifices. Dr. Azevedo is a Gulf War veteran. I was only a year old when he went halfway around the world in service to our nation. Don's marriage was only seven years old. I'm told that when he returned from overseas, he was so stinky and dirty that I wouldn't let him hold me. So that's definitely one sacrifice he made. We've talked on the show about a lot of different issues that marriages face, but I'm sure that leaving your wife and one-year-old and traveling halfway around the world had to test that particular relationship. So are there any specific issues for veterans and their marriages? There are lots of specific issues and uh, difficult issues, really. One of them is reintegrating into family life. Like, uh, as you pointed out, you wouldn't let me hold you. Not only when I was stinky and I first arrived, which I'll agree with, I smelled like a camel, but even for several months afterwards, you wouldn't stay. It was several months? I was going to ask how long. Several months, you wouldn't be in a room with me alone. Uh, Mama had to be in the room with us for you to play with me. And at first, you wouldn't actually play with me. You would play next to me. And so I would sit with you, and you would play with blocks, and I would play with block or other things. And then eventually, (laughs) you would hand me a block. And that's actually when the ice broke. But that took a couple of months. Wow. How did you feel during that? So I'm very lucky. I understand child development. I understand that during that stressful period, you started to protect mama because when she was nervous and that kind of stuff, you would distract her. Um, Even at a year old or 18 months old, by the time it was over, um, you were reacting to that. And I was now a new stressor, someone you didn't Mm -hmm. quite remember. I had tools for that. I also had your mom who was willing to talk to me about that and reassure me that the relationship would reconnect. Not all families have that knowledge or have that reassurance. So rejection from a kid makes it hard to come back into family life. If you have seen active combat and perhaps you have taken lives or you have seen the lives of your comrades taken, you may feel incredible guilt and not want them to reintegrate you because you don't think you're you're good enough for that anymore, uh, that somehow you're, you're changed fundamentally. It's hard to talk to your spouse about stuff because they have no frame of reference for the experiences you may have had uh, in combat. Uh, You may have guilt and shame about actions you took or didn't take, or just surviving when friends didn't. And not taking an action actually creates just as much guilt and fear. If you ever saw the movie Saving Private Ryan, they depict many of these things. One of the characters in there actually doesn't come to one of his buddy's defense, and that guy dies, and he feels extraordinary guilt for it afterwards. 
the very end of that movie has Private Ryan, who survives all of that, um, kneeling at the grave of, um, I can't remember what his name was, Tom Hanks' character, the captain. It's Yeah, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. But he's kneeling there and he said, did I live a good life? Because the last thing that Tom Hanks' character says to him is, you've got to live a life for all of us. Um, essentially, yeah. I'm not quoting it directly. But those kinds of things actually do happen. Um, yeah. And there's a lot of pressure about it. Um, there are thoughts of suicide for veterans. Veterans are one and a half times more likely than non-veterans to commit suicide. And every single day, an average of 20 veterans commit suicide. Every day. And this has been going on for years. Uh, we've been in a combat, combat scenario for more than 10 years right now with the stuff in Afghanistan. Um, so that's a big major difference. And it's super stressful for a spouse um, to deal with. And this is now not just men coming back and being suicidal, but also women who are serving, who are coming back and struggling with reintegration into their families. Um, of course, post-traumatic stress, we've known about that for a very long time. Um, another piece of this is hypervigilance. So uh, there's actually a book that was written called I Never Sit uh, With My Back to the Door. Uh, and it's about a combat veteran who comes back and is anxious all the time, is hypervigilant all the time, looking for where the next danger is going to come from. And then there's chronic pain issues or dealing with other medical issues related to service. These can be major things like you've lost a limb or eyesight or hearing um, to uh, more minor things, but chronic nagging things like um, hip problems or back problems. I've, I've had back problems since the military, um, but luckily a good chiropractor keeps it all in line most of the time. Hmm. So those are all things that the marriage has to struggle with. So what can uh, a couple, a marriage do to, to address those things? So there are a lot of things that the marriage and the couples can do to address all of these concerns. Uh, the quote I read today talks about learning the value of forgiveness and grace, and we've certainly talked about that on the show in the past. Families need to acknowledge that there are going to be bumps in the road. Uh, vets and spouses are usually in a positive honeymoon period when they first get back. Uh, the low point tends to hit between four and nine months. Um, many marriages show a steady increase in satisfaction after negotiating that dip, but that dip can definitely be really challenging. And I imagine the dip itself could be longer or shorter depending on how you are coping with these problems. Yeah. Sure. And, and how your relationship was before you left. <laughs> yeah. That, that too. too. Mm -hmm. uh, and what happened in the departure? Uh, because all sorts of relationship dynamics happen with that separation. And especially now with all of the technology available, you know, there's a lot of relationship strain that can happen due to that distance. Just to talk about that for a second, I'm Ben, I know you don't remember any of this. You were really just a year old. But when I deployed, uh, they said, get everything together, we're going. And so I left in the morning. Your mother drove me and you to. <laughs> to the base uh, and to the airfield where we were supposed to take off. We sat all day together, you know, and she was going to stay there until we departed. And of course she could. And then they sent us home. And then the, oh, gosh. then the next day, same thing. And then the next day, same mm. thing. 
Oh my gosh. Then the next day she said, you know, Ben and I can't do this. Yeah, I'm going to drop you off and, you know, check in with me as the day goes on. If you need me to pick <laughs> me up, if you need a pickup, give me a call. And then I didn't call because <laughs> I, oh man, as I left. This is the fourth day. I don't remember exactly what day, but there were a lot of days where we did the bounce and then there was the day that I was gone. Is that still common now or is it like more organized now? I I think because they've been doing pretty consistent departures, it's probably more consistent now, but I don't actually know the answer to that. If any of our listeners know the answer, please uh, write us and, and tell us about what it looks like now. I don't know how to segue back into what I was going to say. So, <laughs> well, that's part of the 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 grace and forgiveness. Ah, fair. Right, um, because that flexibility just had to be there. <laughs> um, and and think about it. If you actually expected, he's just going to call me, and we'll have dinner together, and then that didn't happen. <laughs> right, my heart hurts hearing that. Did she know when you left when you'd be coming back? No, none of us knew. Okay. That's a big uncertainty as well. Yeah. And I mean, definite strain on the relationship. I mean, that's scary. And there was no immediate technology back then. As a matter of fact, I've seen the letters. Yeah. Right. But the letters (laughs) didn't even start for almost six weeks after I deployed. Right. Yeah. That's a long time to not hear from the father of your one-year-old child. Yeah. And especially, I mean, this is mama, but like... The anxiety level mama has, I can't imagine. (laughs) I mean, when I was missing for 48 hours in Ireland, she, you know, almost flew over herself. Yeah. Um. (laughs) Well, and and think about it. As a spouse, she grew from that and learned how to manage all of those things, manage Ben, make decisions, that kind of stuff. I come back and she's like, you're in my space. (laughs) Right. (laughs) She's like, I got it. Well, and that's another big strain on the relationship is... When vets come back, trying to address all of these small things and small changes that have happened, you know, looking at how chores are done. What are the expectations of cleanliness around the house now? Because they've changed Uh, parenting differences uh, and recognizing and accepting that the returning veteran might not respond well to how the spouse was and is parenting the child. Uh, They've been in a military setting for so long that the discipline, the structure is what they're so used to. And if your parenting style as the spouse is not that way, sometimes that can be really strong and stressful within the the dynamic. Um, Understanding that decision making has also changed. The spouse has been the sole decision maker for the household for as long as the vet has been gone. Um, And that can be really grating, especially if one partner's used to being in more control of the family dynamic and now does not have that much control. Um, Or the person who has been in control struggles to allow space for the partner returning to start making decisions. This is all negotiation, using clear communication, listening to each other. We talk about this everywhere on the show. There's also negotiating the pace of renewing emotional and sexual intimacy. There's a level of abandonment that might have happened. um, And also just 
vulnerability that needs to be built up when, well, I can't speak to being at war, but I imagine that when you're at war, it's not particularly safe to be emotionally vulnerable with a lot of people. Um, You know, you feel on edge and in a need to be safe, secure, and ready to go. So coming back to the relationship can be really challenging with having to figure out how to open back up and remember how to create those relational ties. They're very different than uh, who you've been deployed with. It's also really important to establish support networks inside and outside the nuclear family. There are support groups for veterans, that I do know, uh, and it's important to integrate yourself both with the community that you've been a part of for so long and back out into the community with uh, hobbies and interests that you have where you are having friendships outside of the military. Sure. And also to connect with other veterans, because sometimes you just need to talk about something that other people have a frame of reference for. I said that. You did. and But I wanted to emphasize that, that soldiers often... So soldiers coming back from World War II often um, went absolutely silent, uh, did not talk about it until they were in their 70s or 80s, if they talked about it at all. And the Veterans of Foreign Wars and the American Legion are organizations where there are other service members or former service members. And it's a little easier to talk to them because they may have had similar experiences. Um, and that's an important thing to remember. Uh, it, it is Combat is a bizarre experience. <laughs> it just is. And if you haven't been there, it's hard to know. And even if you've been there, but it's a different kind of war. The war in Vietnam was vastly different than the war in Afghanistan. Um, different, it, it, it's still war, but different kinds of threats and difficulties. So speaking of those kinds of support groups and kind of reintegrating back into society as a whole, what are some tips or advice or suggestions we have for a veteran trying to reintegrate into society outside of their immediate family? Well, when you're in the military, you learn a set of behaviors, like Liam Neeson said, a particular set of skills that keep you alive in combat. And they're super important in the context of combat. And they're not very helpful when you're in a peaceful environment. Right. So, I mean, it just happens. Uh, Mama learned never to touch me when I was sleeping. I, you know, that, Heck, we, we learned that too. <laughs> it took me a while to I let remember go. that. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that I ever shook you awake as a child. Yeah. It was, I don't, I mean, I don't know. And by the time that you had kind of overcome that, I was old enough to not need to shake you awake. I remember always going to mama's side of the bed. <laughs> yeah. Like I would go to papa's side of the bed and I would stand six feet away and I'd go, papa, papa. I would do that at the couch until you woke when up. he fell asleep and, on the couch. And it usually didn't take more than two of those for me to wake up. And, and that's part of what is very uh, adaptive if you're in a combat situation, but not particularly when you're at home. Um, so, Interestingly enough, we've been doing this for a very long time. So in uh, 1990 is when I deployed for Desert Shield at the time that became Desert Storm and then became Iraqi Freedom 
uh, and, and a couple of other names, but now is uh, in Afghanistan. But we've been at war essentially on and off this whole period. And we've been experiencing this a great deal. And it wasn't until 2008 that the military created a program to help both the service member and the spouses understand this difference between the set of skills that keeps you alive in combat and then how to transition back to what you do in peacetime and in a, you know, a more loving environment. So the BattleMind program was created, and BattleMind Battle is an acronym Mind. because... I, I just want to butt in here to say that I really like this acronym. BattleMind. <laughs> and I want to know, know a lot more about the, the, the think tank that came up with BattleMind and all of the acronym things for it. <laughs> so I don't have any of that information, Ben. Um, I came across this when I was researching about what the current state of affairs is for reintegrating vets into society. Um, when I came back, there really was not very much at all. Um, they said, good luck. Yeah. Uh, at, at Fort Campbell, where I was stationed with the 101st, um, I worked with the... the um, Chaplains, there's the word. Thank you. So, <laughs> you're welcome. When, I helped a lot. When, well, you stayed quiet while I searched for the word. That was wonderful. When I when I came back from Desert Storm, I worked with the chaplains both when I was in Iraq and then when I came back here to create a reunion program that helped spouses understand what their uh, partners had gone through in combat for real instead of what CNN reported. Um, and what to expect and how to reintegrate and where to ask for help and how to ask for help. Um, but that was a one-off. The 101st had that because the chaplains and I talked it through and created it. Um, but BattleMind seems to be much more uh, designed and has a much better implementation plan. So what does BattleMind stand for? One of the skills that you learn is the idea of cohesion and your buddies these are the people that are keeping you safe and who you will throw yourself on a grenade for to keep them safe. That kind of cohesion is pretty intense. Um, and when it's not present and the danger's not there that helps create that, some soldiers withdraw. They stop talking to other people. So the healthy version in combat is buddies, cohesion, and the unhealthy version of it when you get back to peacetime is withdrawal. Um, accountability is a big thing in uh, in a combat zone, knowing where all your equipment is, you know, where are your weapons? Where where's your gas mask? Where's I remember <laughs> Mama telling me a story about the alarm, and it triggered. It sounded like something from your military days, and you like hopped out of bed and were really upset that you couldn't find your boots. <laughs> no, my gas mask. Your gas mask. Sorry. All right, my my boots would not have helped me. <laughs> So the, the whole story is uh, when we were there in Desert Shield and Desert Storm, the fear of, um, of neurological right. warfare uh, was big. So neurotoxins and that kind of stuff. And we had sensors planted out around wherever we were um, dug in. And the sensor, if it went off, which dust from the desert could also set off, didn't have to be a neurotoxin. Of course. Yeah. It sounded incredibly like an alarm clock in the United States. So the bang, 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 bang. Back then, that was your alarm yeah. uh, to wake up. 
And when it went off, this was the very first week I was back. Um, it went off and I was in a deep sleep. And I slammed the side of the bed because that's where my gas mask would have been, right? Accountability, where's your materials? And I could have put that gas mask on in my sleep, um, but it wasn't there. And I panicked. Um, and when that sense of accountability, which is so helpful in those situations, comes home, it becomes control. And I want things to be exactly where I want them to be, and you can't mess with that. That's not usually very good for a relationship. In the military, you need targeted aggression. It's very helpful to be aggressive in a combat situation. <laughs> it is not particularly aggressive. helpful once you get back to have that same kind of aggression with the you know grocery store clerk. <laughs> um, tactical awareness is also important. You know, having your head on a swivel and seeing everything that's around you and being very aware of your environment, particularly now with the um, improvised explosive devices, IEDs, um, and all of those things, being aware of where possible enemies are is really important. If you come home and you continue that, it becomes hypervigilance, um, and, and that's destructive, again, to a relationship. Um, being lethally armed is required in a combat zone. Kind of makes sense. When you come home and you want to be lethally armed all the time, that's the acronym for that is locked and loaded, um, which is a volatile and explosive event in a peaceful environment. So, Kim, when you mentioned earlier before about uh, emotional control, um, that's actually one of the things. It's very helpful to have that in combat, to, to not be fearful, to not be sad, to kind of compartmentalize those and to bring that anger forward and that aggression forward because that's likely to keep you and your comrades alive. If you come back and you continue that, you become angry and disconnected. So mission operational security, right? That's important. Loose lips sink ships. That was the World War II um, deal. If you say things the enemy can pick it up. So you learn not to say anything, not to say anything about where you're located or what your mission is in letters that go home on the telephone now, if you're talking uh, to folks. You learn how to keep secrets. But if you continue that process once you get home, you become secretive, withdrawn, and your spouse becomes suspicious. And that's not necessarily to say, I mean, this is true of all of these, but I it stuck out to me on this one. That's not to say you are even deliberately keeping those secrets. You've just gotten used to not revealing all the information about a thing when you're talking about it. So it could just be unconsciously withholding information that becomes harmful to the relationship. And, and all of these are essentially that, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It just sticks out to me with this one because I can see that being such a ingrained accidental yeah. thing mm -hmm. that you don't even mean to not share a thing. Mm -hmm. And there's really no, I mean, not that you would mean to do any of these. You're right. It applies to all of them. It just stuck out to me with this one. Right. And, and that's good. That's a good comment to make. Um, you know, another one is individual responsibility. When you're out there in, in whatever combat situation, you are responsible. So making sure that you have all the things that you need and that you've, you're covering your area that you're supposed to cover. Because if you're doing your job and your buddy next to you is doing their job, all the areas are covered. Uh, so individual responsibility is really important when it comes back and you've had any failures about that, or even now you don't know what your individual responsibility is, guilt can, can build. Another big thing 
another big thing is non-defensive combat driving. So when, when you're in a combat zone, you drive differently. With IEDs, you don't drive like in your lane. You drive in the middle of lanes. You drive away from any place they could have concealed an IED. Um, you drive erratically and aggressively so that it's hard to predict where you're going to be and someone can anticipate and shoot you know, where you're going to be. Uh, and you drive very fast. If you continue to do that when you come home, <laughs> it, it becomes a little dangerous for everyone around you, that kind of aggressive driving. Um, the, when, the last thing on this uh, for Battle Mind, the D, is discipline. And this is another key one that you were mentioning before. The discipline that's required to do well in combat becomes ordering your spouse around <laughs> when you get home or ordering your kids around and expecting them to obey the second you said it. This reminds me of um, in um, The Sound of Music. With the whistle. where it, Yeah, where he's got the whistle because he's like a ship captain, and all the kids march out in a perfect line. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that discipline and control and order kept him safe as a, as a, a naval officer, and he wanted that because his wife was dead, right. and he didn't know what to do with kids. And arguably, it kept them pretty safe, too. <laughs> It, it, there's, they ran away from the Nazis the, at one point. So. Yes. Recognize that there's no blame in any of this. In the correct environment, all of those things that, that, that spell out battle mind are key behaviors to staying safe and alive. This seems more about helping service members and spouses recognize those behaviors, why they exist, what the, like you, kind of the bad versions of them back in uh, civilian society is and how to kind of pay attention to that and know when to like intervene or address problems. Yes. And to have the forgiveness and the grace, remember back the quote that, that uh, Kim read, to have that to say, hey, honey, you're, you know, we're, we're not. <laughs> you're in, you're in battle mind. <laughs> you're right. And now I've got a little code word for it. And if the, yeah. the service member can remember that and relax, uh, breathe, remember where they are, it helps, right? Well, yeah. and I think having a quote unquote code word that's not take a deep breath or, you know, hold on or any of those standard ones that we use with non-veteran couples. I mean, ouch, I need a timeout. Like to pull them back from that particular mindset. I think having this as like a code word or uh, an integration into conversation really helps because I can't imagine trying to tell an amped up vet, calm down, I need a timeout. Like, and calm down doesn't help for anybody, but you know. How about we need to talk? Right. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> That'll get Quick and easy. So in any case, 2008, they developed this. It's been going on, I guess, now for 12 years. They're really, the military is really working to help soldiers and sailors and airmen and Marines all come back from combat and reintegrate into society in healthy ways. Um, I don't know that we've seen the best yet, but at least the attempt is there. Yeah. It, it, I don't know. It's a little sad to me that it's taken this long to get to something like this 2008 battle mind program. Um, cause I feel like we've been aware of 
we've at least been aware that there are problems for a long time. Yeah. And since World War One, actually, probably right. since the, the revolution and maybe even before that. Yeah, I mean, possibly human uh, since the dawn of war, humans have been aware that there are there, there's certainly, I think, in any historical context, there's a um, an awareness of a difference between, you know, warriors and non-warriors, people who have been in combat and those who have not. But I'm I'm glad this this I didn't know about this battle mind thing, and it it seems really cool and like a good, you know. A good effort. A good start. <laughs> Towards, yeah, a, a good start. It's definitely not done, but it is a good start. Um, when I was in undergrad and I was working in my uh, independent study, I did work on um, couples couples therapy with uh, military individuals because it wasn't just military spouses, military relationships. Uh, cause at the time I was dating a Marine, so it seemed important to me. Um, and there wasn't a lot of information. Uh, so that would have been 2013, 2014 battle mind definitely wasn't well known cause I didn't find it in my research. And a lot of the couples therapy was based on the, was based on putting all of the effort on the vet to explain what's going on for them to the spouse. Which, when I was reading it, I was like, this doesn't sound particularly effective. Uh, that seems like a lot of uneven communication. So, you know, it's good to hear these things and know that there is work in progress being made to address this. Um, I know there's a lot of stigma with mental health in general, but definitely around uh, vets and mental health in uh, the military. So it's important. So, and the chaplaincy uh, of the military has also come up with um, some programs, particularly for marriage, right? You would think that chaplaincy would be pretty invested in marital integrity. And the program that they've come up with is called Warrior to Soulmate. And it's, a, it's an important program that helps make that transition, particularly in the marriage. So I'm impressed. From when I came back and there was nothing to, <laughs> to now, uh, there seems to have been a great many uh, improvements and at least desire to address the issues. Well, and support yeah. through um, the VA has improved a lot. Yes, that's which true. Which is really cool to see. I want to take a moment here to say thank you to any veterans listening and thank you, Papa, for your service. We hope this episode is informative and helpful for those of you who may be struggling with the challenge of reintegrating into society after deployment or those in relationships with veterans. As always, thanks for listening, and until next time, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to the Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we want to know what you think, so write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at relationshiproadtrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at azevedofamilypsychology.com. 
This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back and may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.